Millions of frontline workers keep our economy running and are provided with the latest technology to do their jobs. But digital adoption, especially by frontline workers, is really hard. This is Frontline Innovators. We explore how to overcome challenges and achieve success when we empower our essential workers. I'm Justin Lake. And I'm Gene Signorini. Together, we speak with experts who are leading the way and driving digital transformation to the front line. This podcast is sponsored by Skillful on a mission to help frontline workers learn and use the technology needed to succeed in their jobs. I'm your host, Justin Lake, and I'm super excited for today's episode. This is a guest that we've been trying to uh, book on the show for quite some time. Today's guest has been in the natural gas industry for over 25 years, with much of that time focused on managing operations. He most recently has been focused on process improvement and field operations training, and he's currently working on applications process improvement and training as a consultant at Williams. Please welcome to the show, Brent Shoemaker. Hello, Brent. Hello, Justin. Thank you for having me. Really glad to have you here together. You and I have known each other for quite some time, but we finally got a chance to uh, to pull together this uh, time in the calendar. So I'm really glad we're able to do this today. And um, want to start off the show as we always do and, and get your take on what you think is the biggest challenge facing the deskless frontline workforce today. Uh, that's a great question. Um, and it probably depends on who you ask. Depends on kind of the answer you're going to get. Well, I'm asking um, you. We're asking you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so here's my answer, right? And it doesn't, it's not that it's etching gold or the, but here's my opinion and here's what I've experienced. So I used to be, be a field employee myself. Uh, I was in the trenches. I'd work on gas lines. I'd work on gas leaks. Uh, I installed in pipe. Um, so my biggest deal when I was a field employee was all the rules, right? We just had more rules after more rules after more rules after more regulations, more regulations, more regulations that's thrown on top of us every day. Anytime there's an incident nationwide, uh, all the gas, all the natural gas industry basically was paying for it. Um, as far as more regulations, more regulations, more regulations. And it wasn't that one regulation came and then two more went away. It was one more came and the other one stayed and just kept piling on top of each other. Um, so it, and not only that, then you have all your operator qualifications you've got to know and you've got to know your hands-on, you got to know your technical side of it. Um, and now we're in this last five, 10 years, it's really gotten to the technology side of it. We're not even just the equipment is more advanced, but also um, the cell phones, the tablets, the computers, Everything's going so much more computerized and applications for more and more data entry uh, to collect it and to report against it. So, again, all this stuff's being thrown at us uh, or thrown at our field employees, but at the same time, they still have to respond to gas leaks. They still have to install gas lines. They still have to uh, document what they did, what they didn't do. Um, uh, they've, and then you, if you, then you have foremen. You have your field form, you kind of your lead techs, kind of somebody that's leading the crew. And then they have to make sure that the job's going the way it's supposed to. Then they're, they're managing their own uh, crew themselves. So to me, the biggest challenge that is facing our, what I'm, what you call in our office, our base player field employees is that it's just all the regulations coming down, all the technology coming at them, uh, all the documentation that's coming down. Uh, TVC, which stands for traceable, verifiable, and complete in the natural gas in industry, has really taken that um, rule and valid um, requirements to a whole other level. 
in a good way, right? It's not in a bad way. It is in a good way because the product that is going through the pipeline can be very dangerous. It's a great product and it serves a lot of great purposes, but if it's not handled right or treated right, it can also be very dangerous. So uh, the natural gas industry companies, they truly do need to know what they have in the ground, where it's at, uh, all the specifications or attributes of that pipe or valve or fitting that's in the ground, um, who installed it when, uh, where it's at location-wise. So if we ever have to go and uh, find that emergency valve to shut down during an emergency, we're able to find it pretty quickly without having to spend hours and hours trying to figure out where this valve is by old center line or proper line or curb line measurements. So the more and more we are going to technology, the better it is for companies to truly know their systems. Uh, but again, that's more and more stuff that's thrown on our field employees to document. Um, and another big thing that I've experienced um, now as a, uh, a trainer that I've been doing application training, process training, and standards training since about 2013 now, so almost eight years. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, when I first got in the natural gas industry, I did not like standing in front of a room and talking to people. I did not want to do that. I wanted to put the shovel in my hand. I wanted to get on the backhoe. I wanted to go out there and just do work, right? I didn't want to stand in the in a conference room, right? I didn't want to stand in a meeting and talk about standards or talk about forms or talk about um, requirements. I didn't want to do that. So when I finally got the opportunity to start doing that, it really wasn't, I was told to do it. It was just an opportunity that presented itself to me um, that we needed trainers. We needed um, people that, kind of understood um, the field side of it, but then understood also the requirements side of it as far as field documentation, then also understood the IT side of it. So you could talk about validations and domain options and workflows and all that great stuff that comes with uh, IT tech terminology. Um, but also uh, I have that natural ability to teach and train. Um, I love coaching. I've coached baseball and I've coached softball when my kids were in high school. So I love that aspect, teaching people and training people. Um, because I, I can think back when I first started my career in the gas company that there was so much stuff that was coming down, but nobody truly gave us any good information of what we were supposed to do. They just said, go do this, right? There was no history behind uh, or reason why we we're doing this. We we're just told to do it. And then some of the things we were told to do, uh, we might have needed different additional training on it or specialized training. We just didn't get it because the industry didn't have those type of experiences yet. They're getting all these rules thrown at them so fast that they weren't able to adapt to all these rules coming and actually um, implement these processes or implement these standards or implement these regulations that they should have been implemented. So one thing that I love when it comes to teaching or training is um, not only showing people and talking to people about this is how you do data entry, right? Or this is how the application works, or this is uh, what you're supposed to document when you expose a line or when you do a pressure test, right? But it's also the why part of it. Uh, right. This is why you're doing it. Here's the background of why this came about, right? This isn't just something new that corporate says, do this because they don't like you, right? There's reasoning behind this. Um, and also like to make it very personal um, of saying, you know what, we like our salary adjustments. We like our benefits. We like our um, possibly your yearly bonuses, right? Well, to get that, the company needs to succeed as well. 
to perform. And the company only and the company only succeeds when our frontline employees do their job. Um, and another thing I'd like to always tell a lot of the people that I teach or train is that um, I'd ask them a question: How much trust do you think the company has in you? But a lot of people think uh, just a knee-jerk reaction. Well, they don't trust me one bit, right? They don't trust me one bit because they're wanting to track me with this new technology. So I'd get a lot of those comments. Um, every now and then I'd get some people that say, yeah, they, I, I feel like they trust me quite a bit. But much, for the most part, a lot of people didn't think the company trusted them. And so to those that would feel that way, I would ask them, you know what? Um, this is To me, this is how much the company trusts you. They're putting a lot of money in your hands, right? They're expecting you uh, putting a lot of responsibility on your shoulders. And if you think about this, um, when you go out to fix a leak, when you go out to install a new line, right? They basically, am assuming that you're doing everything that you're supposed to do by our standards and regulations that the natural gas industry has on it. I said, because how often when you go through a commission audit, um, do they go out and actually dig up what you installed, right? You dig it up, you install it, you backfill it. Nobody ever knows anything you've done um, unless an incident happens, right? So the company puts a lot of trust because they're not going behind you and inspecting everything that you're doing, right? They, they trust that you know what you're doing, you're doing it the right way. So when you lay your head on the pillow at night to go to sleep, that you feel that you did everything you could to uh, prevent an incident to ha from happening. So, um, and re really the only time that um, um, issues happened or when people would have to go back and dig up something to see, uh, to view it is when one, the data entry wasn't done correctly, right? Not all the I's were dotted or the T's were crossed, or like I said, an incident happened. Uh, if those two things don't happen, 99% of the time that stuff that gets, um, installed in, in the ground and buried never gets seen again. Yeah. I, I want to be able to come back to that part because I mean, you've just, you, you've laid out three podcasts worth of content just in this uh, initial answer here. So we're going to have to figure out what things we can get into the conversation today. But that last point that you made about the documentation and how it affects things downstream is something right. that I'd like to come back to. Um, before we go into that, you touched on this a little bit, but I'd like to really help our audience get a better sense of who you are and, and where you've come from. Um, you've already told us that you kind of started working in the field, which I, I always love it when our guests have had that field experience on their own uh, or, a, or a very close connection to that. But in your case, you've actually walked a day in their, in their shoes, right. literally, right? So, so tell us about that. How did you get started uh, in this industry? And, and um, you know, kind of tell us a little bit about your progression through your different roles there. So one of the things I've always been very proud of is I'm a second generation um, employee within the natural gas industry. Uh, my dad started off as a welder's helper back in 1981. So basically, I've been bleeding natural gas ever since 1981, which was, I was four years old. So then you guys can do the math and know how old I am. <laughs> but um, so I've always, um, I didn't grow up dreaming about being in the natural gas industry. I'm just like any boy in the, uh, in the central part of the States, man. I, I wanted to be a professional baseball player, right? Or I wanted to be a professional race car driver. I wanted to do something other than be in the natural gas industry. I knew my dad worked in natural gas, but I didn't actually know what it was, right? Until 
life hits me and choices were made and it's time to get out, uh, graduate and go to work, right? Get in the workforce. You got, you know, you got a wife to support. You got kids to support, right? Time to go work. Um, so I started off with Oklahoma Natural Gas in 1995 as a meter uh, and at that time, that was kind of entry level, right? If you wanted to get in that company, you started off as reading leaders. Uh, I did that. I did that for a year. Uh, I hated it. <laughs> I hated reading meters. I appreciate it now because looking back, I, I appreciate more now what I have because of what I went through. Um, reading meters was not fun, uh, especially in certain areas where we lived or where I worked. Um, you constantly had dogs chasing you, constantly had people pulling their guns on you, right? They did not want you in their backyard reading their gas meter. Um, they didn't, they were thinking you're there to turn the gas off or they were thinking you're there for something else. So, um, there's many times I wanted to quit, <laughs> uh, but thank imagine. God I didn't, uh, but thank God I didn't. I mean, cause uh, God had a purpose for me. Um, and, uh, I've been very, very blessed with in the natural gas industry. I've met some amazing people. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of amazing people in the natural gas industry that uh, make it what it is. Uh, it's not a lot of your CEOs. It's not a lot of your vice presidents. It's the frontline employees uh, where the rubber meets the road. That's where that's what makes this uh, industry so great is your meter readers. It's your line locators. It's your leak surveys. It's your corrosion techs. It's your measurement regulation techs. It's your inspectors. It's your contractors, right? It's the ones putting the pipe in the ground. It's the ones that are inspecting the valves, the reg stations. Uh, the test stations monthly, yearly on a basis to make sure that the product that's going through the line stays in the line, right? And it's the, it's the employees that are making sure that um, where the money gets, that make, gets made in the natural gas industry is staying within the nat natural gas industry. So um, that's what I've loved about this industry so much is meeting so many people from walks of life. Um, people that you'd have probably never met before, never even talked about, or, or would never even would have hung out with unless you worked with them or unless you were in meetings with them or like yourself, right? I mean, you got met, met because I'm in the natural gas industry and you're in the people industry as well, right? Um, so I've met some amazing consultants, uh, contractors, um, and I've worked with some great people. Uh, I've also worked with some people that I could probably, <laughs> I could just, hey, you know what? Let's let's go. We, we don't have to talk. We don't have to talk about those today. <laughs> exactly. So, but I mean, no matter. And I also always learned that no matter um, if I worked for somebody that was real good, or if I worked for somebody that I did not appreciate or did not enjoy, I learned from both of those types of people. Um, uh, always try to have a positive outlook on everything. Uh, yeah, you're, we're going to have our ups and downs, but man, if you can keep the positive outlook on everything and just show kindness and show respect and show love to everybody, it's it's a, it's amazing how that also gets you through life yeah. uh, with a good attitude and a good, uh, good head on your shoulders and a good work ethic, right? Uh, there's so many in the natural gas industry right now, it's just like so many other industries. They're hurting for resources. Uh, they're hurting for good, hardworking individuals that want to work. Uh, that want to make a difference, uh, that, that has a good work ethic. So um, met a lot of those people uh, like that. Um, and like I said, that's to me, it's the frontline employees that make the natural gas industry what it is. Well, um, how did you go from being in the field to when you and I met, you were actually doing training now uh, and building out systems training, software training, for right. the men and women in the field. So tell us about that transition. Right. How did you go from being a field guy to now delivering training for those folks? 
So after reading meters, I got on the construction crew at that time, basically as another entry-level construction guy. I worked my way up through um, uh, operating heavy equipment. Um, so I operated backhoes and tricos and trenchers, uh, and I loved that. I found a new whole new passion that I had that I didn't know I had until I got to do it. Um, so I was getting paid to do a hobby, in my opinion. Um, so then I got to be a foreman in construction, and then I was blessed to get a manager's manager of operations, um, which is that's where I really started to um, realize how much I love helping people and how much I wanted to work with people. And I wanted to work harder for the person that was reporting directly to me so they could have a better life um, professionally and personally. Um, and in that time, uh, that's when a lot of the technology started evolving as far as applications, uh, documenting electronically instead of on paper. Um, so I saw that, I know the issues I had when I was a foreman of documenting all my information. I had to duplicate it. I had to uh, write it down three, four, five different times on the, basically the same form to send it to four, five, six different departments. So um, I always knew there had to be a better way of doing things. So I kind of took it upon myself within the company to start um, helping uh, design the applications, making workflows, where my foreman in the field, when he went out to prepare a leak, all he had to do was document one, basically one form. Um, and then electronically through a workflow, all that information would be sent to our mapping group. All that information would be sent to our corrosion group or engineering group, whoever, whichever group needed that. It was going to be sent to them through either uh, reports or it's going to be sent to them through a workflow. But I didn't want my foreman in the field that already had to worry about OQs, already had to worry about dealing with the police department, fire department, first responders. Uh, dealing with uh, the public uh, and then making sure the um, the area was safe. I didn't want them to have to worry about now all the data entry that goes with it. Uh, I wanted them to focus on the safety part of it. And then after everything was safety, uh, safe, safely combined, then I want them to worry about the documentation, but I only want them to worry about the documentation one time. One time. I don't time. want them having to worry about five, six, seven different times. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, that kind of started growing within the company. And I was so as I was still being a manager of operations, then I started being a trainer. I started being an application process consultant or improvement consultant, basically, in a way. Um, and then I got to uh, have an opportunity to go to the corporate side of it. Uh, at that time, the corporate had three different, four different, three to four different states that um, they were trying to merge into one as best they could with, uh, into one application, one process um, as much as they could because they had applications all over the place. Nothing was consistent, nothing was defined. Um, if you're in one state, uh, you might've done it completely separate in another state. Uh, so at the corporate level, that was just causing a lot of headaches. It's costing a lot, a lot of money, uh, cost a lot of money with, from investors. Uh, so I got the opportunity to start in a project that was supposed to be a five-year project. It turned into a three-year project. It's going to be over $100 million. And we uh, try to combine as many processes as we could into one um, and minimize all the applications into a few applications and make a lot of integrations. Um, so again, where the, all the duplicate work would go away, uh, but everybody still got the information that they needed. So the 
upstream process all the way to the downstream process was, was streamlined as much as we could, uh, but still sending all the information to the different departments that needed it. So throughout that time, when actually it was called the journey, um, I got the opportunity to do a lot of training. Uh, when we had, um, did the go live, um, implemented the project, I got to go around to all the states and sit down with all the different classes and provide help with training as much as I could. So I was able to take my field knowledge and my IT knowledge and combine them together to help the trainers. And every training that I went to, it seemed like I was hearing the same thing over and over and over and over again, is that people, not only were they didn't understand the applications, but they didn't understand their own role, right? They had a title, but they didn't actually have a role. They didn't know what they were supposed to do. They're given this title and just said, hey, this is your new title. We'll tell you what it is later on. Well, later on never happened. Uh, or if it did happen, it wasn't defined to them very, very clearly. So we had a lot of people frustrated with their new role um, that they didn't actually understood. So uh, I got the approval to start a, a department called Field Operations Training, where I was able to basically uh, bring in a handful of people to help the business understand um, how to use an application, how the processes are, uh, what the process is, and help them with standards. So, because we had a technical training group that did a lot of training hands-on, and we had some application training for other departments, but we, the biggest gap in the company at that time was basically training people on how to do their job with the technology that they were given. Yeah, that, that's a really big issue that we, we've actually talked a lot about on this show is it's not just about training on the technology. It's about the context of what they should be right. doing in their job at the time right. they're interacting with technology. So talk through more about how you actually went and implemented uh, to solve for that problem. So um, I was able to get, because of my background with the business, um, a lot of those roles or titles I did myself. Uh, if it was a project closer, if it was a project coordinator, if it was a foreman in the field, if it was a supervisor, if it was a manager, if it was a dispatcher, I had experience in a lot of those um, roles. Some of the people within my group had a lot of experience in those roles as well. So they were able to take their experience in that role and say, all right, here's the role you have. Here's how you're supposed to do it. And then here's how you use the application within that role. So it's, it wasn't so much we were just training them on how to use the application. It was truly taking the experiences from the past and saying, all right, now here's how you use that role within the application. Here's how the application works for you. Um, here's what the whole process is, right? So we had this massive puzzle and everybody's a piece of that puzzle. Uh, well, you need to know where you're at within that puzzle and how you understand and make sure that the end user knows where they, how they fit with all these other pieces that creates this one puzzle. Because the work that they would do on, in their role affects somebody either positive or negative downstream of them uh, or vice versa. So um, again, it was teaching people how not, hey, here's Maximo, or here's PCAT, or here's Locus, or here's GIS, right? It was here's these applications and here's how to use them, but here's why you're asking, being asked to use them. And this is how you use it within your role, right? 
yeah, these applications can do everything under the sun, it seems like. But certain individuals don't need to know everything under the sun. They just need to know what they're supposed to do in that application. No more, no less. So um, once we started um, training it that way, and that's where our biggest bang for the buck basically was happening at, is basically just teaching in end users what they needed to know and how they use the role within the application and why. So uh, they, they could understand that um, what they do truly does matter. Yeah, so that, that's interesting. So we've been, you know, uh, on the podcast, we've had a series going lately with a lot of change management leaders. And a big part of the conversations that we've been having with them have really been about communicating the why right. behind the change. Right. So I, I know you don't technically have the title of change management uh, or, or in the past didn't have that title, but clearly you were very much involved in the change management aspect of tech you know, innovation Correct. where you were really helping to bridge the gap between just that core understanding, the fundamental understanding of why we're even doing this and then the how um, as you went through that. So do, do you think that can you share some examples with us about you know, perhaps an interaction that you had with, with some of the men and women out in the field about how you know explaining the why behind that really made them uh you know perhaps a little bit more engaged with with your training exercises yeah um we're actually doing we did some we do office training like bring no matter the role we'd bring them in an office and do an office type of setting and training but we'd also actually go in the field and do field training right we'd go in their environment right the end users environment that they're most comfortable in, right? And we would actually train them while they're on site doing their job uh, because it once they were able to actually put their hands on it and see, okay, this is the pressure test rider, this is the exposure, or this is um, the points, the spans, or this is what how I uh, get my GPS coordinates, right? Instead of just setting them in the office where they probably don't want to be at in the first place, uh, sitting behind a computer, where they're probably all their most of the, the stuff they're, they're thinking of way no, they're thinking in their mind anyways is what they're supposed to be doing at the house or what they're supposed to be doing on the job site that they're not doing because they're sitting in here training. So a lot of the success training that we've had in the last few years was more of that is going out to the end users environment that they're most comfortable in. And for an example, for an example is um, I was training a foreman. Um, and we're documenting uh, what, I, what I call a service line replacement work order. Uh, it's basically re, uh, retiring an old service, an existing service, and installing a new one. Well, when they're documenting what they exposed, which again has multiple aspects uh, downstream of them, what they provide, um, I brought it to the safety, safety end of it. Um, I talked to them about the exposure, the wall thickness, uh, the calculations built within this application and why that calculation within that application can help him do his job better and keep his welder safe. So I gave him the example, right? We dug up this four inch steel line. It had some corrosion on it. It had some pitting on it. So uh, took the pit depth, took some pop steel readings. And as he's using that application, I said, all right, this field does this and that field does this. Now, for your welder, weld strikes an arc on that line by our procedures, right? We're supposed to know the wall thickness of that pipe. And then I'd say, why do you think we're supposed to know the wall thickness of the pipe? Well, I'd get some answers, right? Some thoughts, uh, but it wasn't the one I was looking for by our standards. And so after a few of the um, answers he gave, I said, okay, 
Actually, the reason why you're supposed to know the wall thickness is because we don't want that wall thickness being too thin where that welder strikes an arc and then burns through it, uh, ignites the gas, and we have a ball of fire right there in that uh, bell hole. I said, so it's a safety aspect, right? I said, so that's the um, um, standards, right? But here's how the application can help you prevent that as well. So the, the application is going to auto-calculate the wall thickness for you, right? So we're going to give it the wall thickness. We're going to give it uh, what their UT machine says, and we're going to give it the, uh, the pitting depth, right? Between those two figures, it's going to tell you, hey, you have 20% wall remaining, or you have 80% wall remaining, right? If it's under a certain amount, you're not supposed to arc that line. If it's over that amount, you can arc it and go on with your daily business. No harm, no foul. So, but you could see the light turn right in the head, just click. Okay. Putting it in the context of safety for exactly. him and for his colleagues, the other guys in the field. Yep. And so he, so after he understood the, the um, standard side of it, the safety side of it, and how the application can help him, then I took it down to the uh, what happens downstream from here, right? I said, okay, so we're not asking you just to do this data entry for the fun of it, right? Here's the regulations of 192, but here's also what this helps. Here's this also what, how's this uh, helps. I said, you're going to give all this information to this, ex this existing line that you just exposed. I said, when you did, when you did uh, enter all that stuff into the application, when it goes back for approvals, I said, it's going to talk to another application. And that application basically is a risk management tool. And that risk management tool is going to take all the information from all these existing lines, and it's going to risk analyze all the lines that are probably needing to be replaced in the next five years, right? So I said, now you're also helping the company understand where they're going to spend their money in the next year, two, three, four years, uh, so we can get the best bang for our buck, right? Because if you just give false information, and again, Probably anybody's going to trust you what you, the company's trusting you, what you give is what you saw. So you can give false information or you could give real life information. So the real life information is this line probably needs to be replaced. Well, instead of your manager or your director or this or that having to go and try to be a used car salesman to get that money for that area to replace that line, the systems are going to allow corporate to say, okay, in 2022 or 2023, we got a $350 million budget. These are the top projects we need to do, right? Yep. So you're helping provide that. And again, it helps the investors, right? The investors have trust in the company. Again, it's going to come all the way down back to the personal level where more likely you're going to get a yearly bonus or you're going to get a salary adjustment because the company's doing good because of what you did. And because of your use of the technology, those decisions are being made based on data and not just subjective hard feedback facts. from the field, right? So you have exactly. real hard facts, real data. But it does, it, you know, the, the front line, you know, the men and women on the front lines have a role to play in exactly. collecting that data, right? And I think sometimes yeah. you said something before that really resonated with me, which I think a lot of times the men and women that are using these applications in the field, it feels to them like they're just doing it to check a box. Correct. And you, you've done a great job of explaining the importance of, of helping them understand all the downstream implications of that and why it would be so important. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So you, you did some really neat things. You know, I have an advantage with you because, uh, you know, I've known you for a few years now and I know when you were involved in, in field training that you've done some pretty neat things over your career to really help 
make that training process a, a little bit easier uh, for the men and women in the field. And so you just shared one of those examples, which was actually took the time to go out and talk to them in the field. And I think right. you probably came with a lot of credibility because you had you know, walked uh, many days in, in their shoes. Um, but I also know you use some technology. So um, you know, I, I spent some time with you and your team. Um, one of the, the memories that I have in the past is that you guys probably put together the best SharePoint environment that I'd ever seen. Uh, you know, SharePoint is very easy to make fun of, uh, but you guys had done a fantastic job of really leveraging the tool and really showing that it's not, it's not just up to the tool, it's how you actually implement that tool. So can you share just a, you know, a little bit about what you guys were doing with that and how you were able to, to kind of make that a very viable tool to solve this problem? Yeah. So, um, I've, I, I had a great individual within our team that really, uh, took on that role of kind to, of really, um, maintaining the SharePoint site for us. So we had a training group. Uh, we actually had a, we created a SharePoint site that we actually used with m- multiple other departments as well. Our technical training group used it. Our standards group used it as well. And basically the goal behind that is we wanted our end users to basically have a one-stop shop, right? Uh, before that SharePoint site, they'd have to go to many, many different sites within the uh, corporate hub or the corporate website to find standards or find training videos or find te- uh, OQ information, right? So we wanted them to have a one-stop shop. No matter if they're on a laptop or on their phone, we wanted them to be able to say, okay, I'm out in the field, right? I have a question. I can't remember how do I do this pressure test again in Mobileite or I have a uh, OQ, um, what's my OQ um, or what's the standards for this process or this task I'm about to do? So they could be on the tablet, they could be on the phone, they could go to the SharePoint app, and they could go to what um, is our um, technical training uh, site. And again, it was basically maintained by three or four different groups, but to the end user, it was one site. Um, And no matter, like I said, if they wanted training videos, training step-by-steps, information on OQs, information on DOT information, um, information on our policies or standards, they could, they could, they could do that. Uh, so, cause that's one thing we heard during some, uh, round tables or some surveys that we had is that, um, all this information's out there and it's great to have it out there, but it's hard to find. So we took that feedback and said, all right, we got to be able to do a better job. So again, we created that SharePoint site main, uh, managed by, like I said, three or four different departments. And um, also that SharePoint site gave us a lot of information as well. It told us how many people hit the site. It told us how many people is viewing this step-by-step or viewing this video. Um, So we try to make it as as user-friendly as we could for our end users to to get the information that they need as quickly as they could. Yeah, that's fantastic. You guys did a really, really amazing job on that. And you didn't say this, uh, but one of the things that you guys did that I was really impressed with at the time is how mobile friendly you made that experience, uh, even through SharePoint. Again, something that, you know, SharePoint is notorious for uh, typically not being very well configured for consumption on mobile. And, you know, that's that's my sweet spot. So we were paying close attention, uh, you know, when you guys reviewed your solution with us. So we were really impressed with what you had done from a mobile standpoint. And um, you, you guys had a lot to be to be proud of on that team. When one of the things I remember you and your team talking about was the importance of trying to measure 
the effectiveness of the content and the success of that training experience. Correct. And I'm curious to hear what you ended up implementing for, for those challenges so that you can measure the success of, of what you were building. You just touched on one of those pieces, which was just the volume of views and how many people were consuming some of that content. So I'm sure that went into your measurement, but what other mechanisms did you put in place to help measure the effectiveness of what you guys were doing there? Well, uh, we also sent out surveys after training, right? No matter, again, if it was office training or field training, we'd send out surveys. And we, again, didn't make it cumbersome, right? Many people get a survey and they just delete it, right? They don't want to spend the time to answer 15, 20, 30 different questions. Yep. Uh, so we kind of reduced the survey, but we still wanted to know kind of people's thoughts. Uh, because when you're really in a training room environment, you're really not going to get a lot of people to speak up and say, hey, how did I do, right? They're really not. They're just ready to get out to begin with. So um, we sent out training surveys and we get the information back. Um, we'd also, um, a lot of uh, the way we measured stuff was the information that we were seeing in our, in our work management systems, right? Uh, did stuff get better? Did stuff get worse, right? So we were able to kind of... Um, assess what information we were seeing in a work management systems that also kind of showed uh, how we did in that group. So if we were to go to, let's say, I'm just going to say El Paso, right? And we were going to go do some training and we're going to do some leak repair training or some leak training. We'd see what information they had in there before we got there. Uh, and we do some metrics and then we'd uh, wait a few months, whatever, after the fact, and then pull those same metrics to see if the information got better or got worse, uh, which could also tell us how we did as a training group. So it's it's multiple ways to kind of to judge kind of how you're training and how it's being effective. Um, it's just and and not all of it's still the as much as much accurate as it can be, but it's it's better than nothing. Um, you just made a really important point, which is that at the end of the day, it's not about the training; it's about their performance using the technology and the business processes that are right. key to their role. Right. right. And so I, I love your example of, of the El Paso example of saying, Hey, you took some benchmarks prior to the implementation of that training. And then you went back several months later to look, but you're not right. looking at the consumption of training by itself. You're looking at, you know, what is the performance inside those production systems in that work right. management system then to see, are we changing behaviors the way that we ultimately need to, so that everybody could be successful. Correct. Yep. Yeah. So when you went through that process, I'd be really curious to hear some of the feedback that you got on the surveys. Was there anything that stood out to you as surprising in, in some of the yeah. feedback that you got? Um, probably one of the most common things we got is most employees learned more about their job and about our company in that three or four hours than they had in the previous years, Wow, uh, which, which was very complimental. Uh, or it's, it's a compliment complimentary to you guys. Yeah. And then concerning it, probably at the same time. Very concerning uh, to me because the way I've, I viewed the company and the way I viewed um, it wasn't, I was just focused on the compliments we're getting. I was more focused on what's, what, what is the underlying story? What are we missing here? What, why, what can we do to make the company better? Right. Um, so hearing that, like I said, yes, it, it, it was enjoyment. There's also concerning that um, a field employee that's been there four, five, six, seven years learned more from our training um, on how to do their job and the company in general in three or four hours compared to the last six or seven years. 
which told me that, hey, middle management, uh, local management, we've got to do a better job, right? We've got to do a better job of developing our employees. We've got to do a better job of training our employees. We've got to do a better job of teaching our employees what this company is, how the company works, and how they fit within this company. So that's definitely one of the biggest things that's always stuck out to me is that. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of other times, I mean, training, people would come in and they'd have 10,000 things on their mind, right? They might have had a bad night at home or they might have had a lot of personal problems going on, too. So uh, one of the biggest compliments I always got as well was uh, didn't have anything work related. It was more of uh, thank you for listening. Um, thank you for the advice. Um, I've been going through this at home or I've been going through this and it didn't have nothing to do with work. It was all personal. Um, so, but I was given a, I was given a, uh, a comparison of, that I was uh, on a great bent pipe. Uh, so, um, which I was very, I, I took that as an honor because, uh, I was listening. Um, yeah, we do have two ears and one mouth and there's a reason for that. We need to do more, a whole lot more listening and talking, uh, and not just hearing people, but actually listening to them what they're saying and not thinking about what I'm about to say next in the response, right? I just want to hear uh, what you're saying. I'm going to listen to you. And if there's something I can say, I'm going to say it. If there's not, sometimes people just need a vent. Yeah. Um, so being called a vent pipe, I took that as a very uh, highly compliment. I, I love it, especially in the uh, the gas industry where uh, <laughs> that's a great term. You know, yeah, I, I, I think if there's one thing I've learned from doing this podcast is I have probably been guilty at times of being, you know, one of the technology guys trying to implement change inside an organization that we can get hyper-focused on the change itself that we're trying to implement, the technology, the business process, right? All the things that you've been talking about. But at the end of the day, we're still talking about humans, people, and those people have a whole lot of other things going on in their job and in their life. And, you know, my change management friends that I've made through this podcast now would refer to this as change saturation, a new term that I've picked up. And it really just speaks to the fact that, yeah, we're, we're hyper-focused on, you know, this business process change or this application or this enhancement to the technology or whatever. But these people have a lot of other things going on besides just that, right? Correct. And Correct. a lot of it has to do with their job, but a whole bunch of it has to do with things other than their job. And, and you know, particularly over the last year and a half, almost two years now where we've been dealing with COVID, um, you know, we've got kids working from home. We've got spouses being laid off, spouses having to change jobs like, you know, kids are, are at school one time and then they're coming home. And I mean, just so many other things going on. And then at the same time, you know, we still have to run the business. And so, uh, as you described at the top of the call, you you talked about all of the facets of being a frontline worker in a highly regulated, highly sit, you know, safety focused business with a lot of risk. And, you know, we're saying things like, Hey, it's just one more mobile app that they need to learn, but there's an entire stack of things that are already on their plate. And, and you made yep. a great point. They, they don't get to remove the other things that they also have to be responsible for. They just need to take on a, a, you know, additional responsibility. Now that's pretty overwhelming. Yeah. And I mean, with, um, to add on to that is that another thing that I really see companies doing that they really should step back and rethink on is the number of applications that are supposed to be used by our field employees to basically do the same thing. So I could have one employee, let's say in an outline area here in Kansas, uh, because they wear multiple hats, 
they could go out and do leak survey. They could go out and do corrosion work. They could go out and do what we call field customer service work. And they could go out and do operations work, right? And that one person could go out possibly on one or two different work orders and have to use four different applications, right? That's, that's not good, uh, no. right? I mean, think of us in the office, right? We don't want to do, we don't even want to use multiple applications in, a, in the office, no. right? Uh, in a controlled environment. And then we're asking our, a lot of the field employees, hey, while you're out in the field, you have this angry customer you're trying to talk to. You have these um, dogs chasing you, right? Or you have- Literally, uh, and you don't mean that figuratively, like literally dogs literally. are chasing your employees. Yeah. yeah. Um, you got people trying to hunt you down, right? I mean, you got people, you got um, um, all the uh, first responders you have to talk to. Then then you got to do all this other data, data information and you got to make sure the job site's safe. You got to make sure your employees- are doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, and then now you're getting called and you're having to go somewhere else, right? So the, the less we can put on our field employees as far as applications, as far as data entry, uh, and still make the, uh, still abide by the rules that we have to live by, by in the natural gas industry, the better off the company is as a whole. Uh, you're going to have a better employee out in the field that has a better attitude, that has a better aspect on the company that's going to give you better data, right? If you keep piling on stuff under the field employee, their their um, their attitude is going to probably get worse. Their work ethic's probably going to get worse, and their data entry is going to get worse, right? So it's going to be a negative Im- impact for everybody involved. So as all these different departments back at corporate or back in the office are saying, okay, well, we need this, right? Or leak survey saying we need this or line locating or uh, third-party damages, we're wanting this, right? Or GIS wants this, right? At the end of the day, try to get all that information still, but have it in one application, maybe two applications for the field employee, not five or six or seven. I've always said that if the employees in the field have to know the names of the back end systems that they're feeding with data, we're probably doing it wrong. You know, yeah. right? Like they, they they probably shouldn't need to know Esri and Maximo and SAP and all those other names that we all know from the back office. Like they should just be given a single user experience that is specific for the technician that follows a day in their life. And then we yep. can go feed the monster of those back end systems with with all of the necessary data. But unfortunately in too many cases um, you know, to mobile, you know, to make mobile available, those systems, we tend to just use a, a series of individual applications. And so they have to kind of swivel from one app to the next. And I, I know that's very frustrating for them. And devices, right? Some applications are only going to be on a tablet or some applications are only going to be on the phone or some right. applications are only going to be on the laptop, right? So now it's not only different applications and now it's the different devices and they have all their other tools that they have to do to actually perform their job in the field of of uh, CGIs or line locate uh, or, or the pipe wrenches or uh, hand tools, right? Or the equipment. They got all this stuff they got to monitor or keep track of. And now we're throwing all these multiple devices at them as well. Yeah. You know, I, I know I can be very idealistic about what would be awesome. Uh, you know, just give them a single app. I know that's easier said than done. It's easy for you and I right. to say that on the podcast. I know there's a lot of complexity and cost associated with doing that. So I, I do see both sides of it. And, and I think that's where, you know, you and I came together to get to know one another because we recognize that um, 
there are going to continue to be mobile, you know, a, a multitude of applications and, and systems that these folks need to interact with. But the easier we can make the training and the onboarding right. experience for them, uh, the better they can be, right? And we want to help ensure that they can be successful with those technologies so that ultimately they can be successful in their role and, and ultimately the company can achieve its its objectives, right? So, right. correct. So, I, what's your, um, I know we're already, I can't believe how much time has already gone by. And um, I, I'm, time I'm flies so, when you're having fun. It does. It does. <laughs> and I am having fun. Um, so, I, I'm curious to get your take. You, you've touched on a few of these things already, but I'm curious to, to hear what your favorite part is about working with technology. Oh, it's always changing. Um, it's always changing. Um, it's it's still are you stimulated is that because it, you're stimulated it, by the the change what yeah um, i mean it still blows my mind of how complex something truly can be under yeah. the sheets or what i call under the sheets right yeah. uh in the integration and this and that uh but at the the but on the end user on certain applications it's very very simple um and I'm not trying to throw this out, just promoted this, that, but Locust View, right? We did a lot of training with Locust View in the last year, uh, year and a half. And um, somebody from some from somebody that was in the field uh, and now so the, and doing all the data entry and all that. And now somebody that's kind of training these applications, trying to get the same results. I've never seen something so simple and easy. Uh, to gather more information than some companies have ever seen in their lives. So, um, but it, but under the, but under the sheets, it's very, very complex with the integrations, with the, the way the applications are built, but to the end user, it's very, very simple. And uh, some of the um, actually true uh, comments that were made to me in the last year and a half uh, actually came from seasoned employees that uh, before I was kind of said, hey, you might want to, this is going to be a fun one, right? They're, they're stuck in their ways. They're hard-headed. They're, they're really not going to take to what you're wanting to show them. A few days, they didn't want to put the tablet down, right? They were constantly asking, okay, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do? What, what can I do next? And I love to tell them, you can do your job now and just inspect, right? The right. data entry is already done for the day. We spent 10 minutes doing data entry for the day. All you got to do now is inspect, right? Go, go to your job. Make sure the contractors are doing their job. That's it. And then once the next thing comes up, we'll get it done. And then you can do, go back to doing your job. But but so many of our field employees are not used to being able to just do their job that they were paid for, right? Or that their right. title is. They're always having to worry about all this other stuff. So seeing that and seeing the enjoyment on their face of huh, that was simple, right? That was easy. I just did all this and that's it. That's all I got to do. I can just now go do my other job. Yep, that's all you got to do. You know, I think a lot of it, Brent, is um, there's just a lot of anxiety, you know, when, when people are changing and learning new things. Yes. I think the men and women in the field tend to um, have a lot of discomfort about the idea of it. But once right. we can get it in their hands and, you know, with guys like you that have really taken the time to, to help to educate them in a way that makes sense to them, then we can allay some of that discomfort and really get them on board. And, and what you just described is one of the most rewarding things that can happen is, is when it goes from their reluctance 
to use this technology to then seeing them turn around and embrace it so fully that they don't want to give it back. And training uh, their coworkers. Yes. And, and they become the evangelists, right? They, they become they the evangelists to help then say, no, guys, this is a lot easier than we thought it was going to be. Here's how it works, right? And and that's when you know we've you know we've kind of hit a home run in the field. That's that's a really good feeling. Exactly. Yep. What's the other side of that equation? What what do you uh, dislike about working around technology so much? Any downsides? Um, how complex it can be in the, to the end user, right? If it's yeah. if it's not built right, if it's not designed right, if it not if it's not tested right all on the front end before deployment, uh, it can be a nightmare for the end user. So yeah. that's the other side to it is that certain applications, it's just not built right. It's just not the right application for the role that we're giving it to, um, or it wasn't designed right to begin with, or it wasn't tested right, right? Or it got deployed and there's so many issues that you spend more times uh, getting a hold of IT or getting a hold of the support group or the desk or help desk saying, hey, it won't turn on or it won't log in or I can't do this or I can't do that, right? So that's also a pain is that just like everything else, right? If it's done on the front end the right way, everything downstream of that's good. If it's not right on the front end, it's going to be a lot of headache for a lot of people um, for, many, for many months, if not many years um, yeah. on the end user. So it, that's the best of both worlds. I mean, that's the best of the application world and it's the worst of the application world. Yeah. You know, Steve Jobs, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he's he's had a few famous quotes around this that, you know, building something simple is actually really hard and complex. And, you know, Apple's known for taking the time and making the investment to do that right so that the user experience is, you know, largely positive and, and very easy. Uh, unfortunately, what we see with a lot of enterprise applications is the time and, and energy and money is simply not invested into you know, employee experience or user experience for the employees. And that's right. unfortunate. And, you know, it puts a big burden on, on those field employees. It puts a big burden on guys like you that were responsible for, you know, delivering that training. Um, but uh, it, it is, you know, it's just part of the state of digital transformation in the enterprise that will probably never reach quite the same level. You know, the consumer markets are always probably going to be a little bit out further ahead, but you've talked about Locust View. Uh, you know, I've seen you post on it on LinkedIn and you've talked about it with me, you know, offline. And, you know, clearly they're one of the companies that are setting themselves apart for they doing are. that so positively. And in fact, maybe we, uh, maybe you can introduce us to somebody from Locust View that we can have on the podcast. I'd love to bring them on here and, and maybe talk about their, you know, their solution and, and what they're seeing in the market. Yeah, I would love that. I really would because it, okay. it, it's uh, the few people I've worked with. They're it's a great company. It's a great people. Uh, again, I have no interest investment yeah. in Locus. I'm not employed by Locus. Whatever. I just I, I speak fan. the truth. I'm a big fan because it, yeah. it's um, I, I lived it and I see it. It's not just something uh, that's um, the used car salesman out there. It it, it does what it's uh, advertised to do. Uh, in fact, it does to me uh, in the industry in general, it does more than what it's actually advertised to do. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, that's a great bright spot. And uh, very seriously, I'll connect with you offline and uh, would love an introduction to uh, to some of the guys over there. The, the last thing I, I want to bring up with you is I, uh, you have now uh, suffered through a podcast interview with me, which, uh, which is now your fee for entry into a private group that we uh, have set up on LinkedIn called the Frontline Innovators Council. 
the Frontline Innovators Council is a group of uh, other like-minded professionals who are dealing with uh, challenges and solutions around digital adoption for frontline workers. And so we'd love to extend an invitation for you to come and participate in that group. Uh, we're only about a month into the group, so we're really just getting started right now. We've got about 30 members um, and all participants in the podcast get an invite to come and participate in that group. And so uh, we're adding new people every week and we'd love to have you come join us over there. Well, I appreciate it very, very much. I really do. Absolutely. And again, I, I appreciate you making the offer for this podcast. Uh, actually, this first podcast I've ever done. Well, you did a great uh, job. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I, I hope everybody, anybody that all the, maybe the five or six people that may listen to this <laughs> also We're, think I did a good job as well. But. Well, here's the good news. So uh, in the early days, when we first started the podcast a few months back, it was just five or six people. Fortunately, <laughs> we're starting to uh, to gain some traction here. And uh, each week, each episode, we're getting more and more folks to, uh, to come join us. So uh, hopefully it'll be more than five or six people. In fact, I'll make sure of it. If you share it on your uh, LinkedIn uh, profile, I'll share it on mine and uh, we'll make sure that uh, we get a whole bunch of listeners to this episode. But I know folks are going to find uh, a lot of value in your contributions today. And I really appreciate you coming and joining with us today. Well, again, I appreciate the offer. I enjoyed Excellent. it. Good. Well, we need to wrap it up there. Uh, to our audience, I hope you found this conversation as enjoyable as I have. And uh, we'd really appreciate the ratings uh, of the podcast. Five-star ratings help ensure that it gets promoted to other professionals like you that are innovating on the front lines. The podcast is sponsored by Skillful, the mobile digital adoption platform for deskless and frontline workers. Visit the website at skillful.com. That's S-K-Y-L-L-F-U-L. Com. And if you or someone you know is out there innovating on the front lines, like Brent is going to introduce us to the folks at Locust Fuse, that'd be great. Uh, we'd love to hear about those stories and uh, get those introductions. So please reach out to me on LinkedIn and share your story and we'll see you on the next episode. Brent, thank you again for your time today. We appreciate having you as a guest.